turn in the scriptures this afternoon to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We read this chapter in connection with the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 49, and the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation or hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We read the word of God that far. Let's consider the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 49. The back of the Psalter, page 26. Which is the third petition 
Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That is, grant that we and all men may renounce our own will and without murmuring obey thy will, which is only good, that so everyone may attend to and perform the duties of his station and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we have just seen, the third petition of the Lord's Prayer is, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the third petition. This petition is related to the first two petitions because the first three petitions are a set. They hang together. They all have to do with God in the most direct sense, whereas the next set of three petitions pertain more to us and our immediate needs. But the first three petitions have to do explicitly with God, with his name, his kingdom, his will. The relation between these three petitions is that the first is chief, Hallowed be thy name. We pray, above all, that God's name will be glorified, praised, magnified, that God will be glorified. The second two petitions have to do with the way God's name will be glorified, through the coming of his kingdom and through the accomplishment of his will. And so we pray for the coming of the kingdom, and the doing of God's will for the glory of God's name. As we have seen, in the model prayer, our Lord teaches us petitions that we have to make, and a petition is a request for something that we need, something we desperately need. In fact, these are the things we need more than anything else in life, the petitions of the Lord's prayer. And for the most part, they are spiritual things. These are things that we deeply need, but we cannot acquire for ourselves. We cannot accomplish these things ourselves. That's why we pray for them. That's why we pray that God will give these things to us and do these things for us, because we can't do it. In the third petition, we are taught to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that something that you need? Do you feel your need for that? Do you feel in your regenerated heart a desire for that? A desire that God's will be done? And do you pray for it regularly in your personal and family prayers that God's will be done? Our natural mind does not desire that God's will be done. Our natural mind desires only that our will be done. That's our old selfish flesh. 
But the Apostle Paul teaches in this very same epistle, back in chapter 6, that as Christians, we must reckon our natural mind to be dead unto sin and alive unto God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's chapter 6. In chapter 7, however, he goes on to remind us that even though we are regenerated, we still have in us that old self. And it's like an old law that is warring against the law of our mind and striving to bring us back into captivity, into the bondage of only desiring what we desire and nothing else. And therefore, because there is this spiritual struggle going on in us as Christians, he goes on in chapter 12 to say the words that we read. In verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, that you do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you will prove what is that good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. He beseeches us, He does not set down rules as an austere authoritarian dictator, but he pleads with us. He beseeches us as fellow Christians that we would present our bodies living sacrifices and that we would conform ourselves to the will of God. He calls us to prove the will of God. The word prove in verse 2 means to test. Imagine that you have a coin and you are told that it's a gold coin. But you want to be sure that it's a gold coin, so you test it. I think in the olden days they would bite it to see if it was true gold. That's what the apostle tells us to do. To prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Because once you've proven it, you've tested it, and you've come to see that really is the will of God, and it really is good and perfect and acceptable, then you will also approve it as that which you ought to do. So this is a fitting subject for us to consider. Originally, I was going to preach this on Christmas Day in the second service as a sort of New Year's Day sermon for us. But we're still at the beginning of the new year, and I think it's a very fitting subject for us to consider as we set forth into the new year, the petition that God's will be done. Are we making that petition, and are we seeking to do God's will? And is that our desire in the new year? Praying for God's will to be done, first submitting to God's will for our life, Secondly, performing the duties God wills in our life. And finally, willing and faithful like the angels. When it comes to the third petition regarding the will of God, thy will be done, there are two aspects of the will of God that we must keep before our minds. And we're going to consider the first of them in the first point and the second in the second point. And the first aspect of the will of God for which we are to cry out to him in the third petition 
is the will of his eternal counsel. The will of his eternal decrees. His eternal plan for the whole creation and for us. The second aspect of God's will is called the will of his command or the will of his precepts or the will of his laws. And that is what God wills for us to do in our lives, his law. So first of all, let's consider that in the third petition, we are praying that God will accomplish the will of his eternal counsel in this world. But we are praying more specifically that God will grant to us something that we need, but something that we can't obtain for ourselves. And that's the strength to renounce our own will and to submit to his will, whatever it might be and whenever it might be. And even more specifically, this prayer becomes very difficult for us when God, accomplishing his eternal counsel, causes things to happen in our lives that we did not want to happen, that we didn't plan on happening, that we did not expect to happen, things painful, then especially, Jesus teaches us to pray for God's will to be done. Now let's notice about that first of all this, that the scriptures teach us very clearly that God accomplishes his will. God performs his counsel and his plan that he formed before the foundation of the world from moment to moment to moment, and he doesn't depend upon our prayers. He's not waiting for us to pray that God will accomplish his will before he accomplishes his will. God accomplishes his will. Just think of Ephesians 1 verse 11, which says that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. He does that. That's a truth of scripture. God began accomplishing his will, realizing his eternal plan and counsel in the beginning when he created the heavens and the earth and all creatures. In Genesis 1, we are told about that. God began accomplishing his will when he created Adam and Eve in his own image and likeness and put them into the Garden of Eden to dwell with him there in perfect peace and happiness in paradise. But God was also accomplishing his will when Adam and Eve fell into sin by the instigation of the devil when they rebelled against him and ate the forbidden fruit in their pride, in their lust, in their disobedience and rebellion against God, in their desire to be like God. God was also accomplishing his counsel and will when they fell into sin, even though he was not the author of their sin, just as he is not the author of your sin and my sin. He's not responsible for our sin. He doesn't force us to sin. Nevertheless, when Adam and Eve sinned, and when we sin, that doesn't frustrate his will. He's not surprised at that, as if something happened that he didn't plan or determine. But even when we sin, God's will is being done. God willed that Adam and Eve would plunge the whole human race into sin, into darkness, and into the suffering of death and hell. 
And then throughout the ages of history, God was accomplishing his eternal counsel and will when he raised up prophets to announce the coming of a Savior, a Messiah. And then when he fulfilled those prophecies by sending into the world his only begotten Son in the fullness of time. Because God's eternal counsel and will centers on the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything centers on Christ. Everything leads up to Christ and flows away from Christ and points back to Christ. In the birth and life and death and resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, God was accomplishing his will. He was accomplishing his eternal plan through his own Son to bring salvation to us fallen sinners to gather his church, his elect people, out of all nations in order to manifest the glory of his name, the glory of all his marvelous virtues, in order to manifest himself as a God of love and mercy and grace, a God of righteousness and justice and truth, and all of his perfections radiate like a beam of glorious light from Jesus Christ. There in Christ, God accomplished his will. But then history continued. And God continued to accomplish his will, all of it revolving around Christ. Everything that has happened since Christ ascended into heaven is God accomplishing his will. Every single person who has been born, every single event that has happened, every single detail of every great and small event in all of the history of the world is God accomplishing his will. Now just take that great big truth and bring it down and apply it to yourself, to myself. God was accomplishing his eternal counsel and will when you were conceived and born from your mother. From that first moment you entered into the world and took a breath of air and cried. And throughout all of your infancy and your childhood, all of the things that happened to you, all of the things that happened by you, all of the things that happened around you, all of the relationships in your life, your family, your friends, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, all of that was ordained by God and accomplished God accomplishes his will. That includes all of the painful things that happen to you. All of the secret and shameful things that you did or that were done to you. It includes the choices you made when you were a child, when you were a young person, when you were an adult, who you decided to marry, what church you decided to join, what career you decided to take. God was accomplishing his will in your life. It includes the children that you brought into the world. It includes all of the prosperity, success, and also all of the failures and all of the struggles and sicknesses that you have experienced, that your children have experienced, your grandchildren. It includes all of the loved ones who have died. All of the sins you've committed and regretted. All of the things you wish you could change. 
but it also includes all of the progress that God has given to you in the Christian life. All of your successes over temptation and sin. All of your experiences. Everything is God accomplishing his will in your life and in mine. So we can look back on the past year, 2022, or the past couple of years, and all of the things that have happened, the COVID pandemic, the division and splitting of our church and denomination, all the struggles and consequences and pain, all of the things that have happened, is God accomplishing his will. And as we look forward into 2023, and beyond into the coming years, and all the way to the end of time, even to all eternity, God will accomplish his will. And he doesn't need our prayers to do it. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't teach us to pray the third petition because God depends upon our prayers to accomplish his will. He teaches us to pray that because it's something that we need something we desperately need, but we are not able to accomplish and obtain for ourselves. And what is that? It's the spiritual strength and grace to unite our will to God's will. It is the spiritual strength to will what God wills. When God wills something for us, it is the spiritual strength to will that. To say, I will that too. God desired that for me, and I desire that. God planned that for me, and I accept that. It is the spiritual strength to renounce our own will and to submit to his will whenever he has planned things that don't fit with our plans, that don't fit with our hopes and dreams and expectations and wishes in life. Thy will be done. Our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to pray, first of all, that we might be able to submit to and accept God's good will for our life. So he's teaching us to pray that in respect to all the things that have happened to us in the past. All of our past experiences, our past sins, our past regrets, our past sorrows and losses and disappointments and struggles. When we look back on our life and we see that's not how I thought things were going to go, we look back and see all the things that were painful, that were grievous, things that we think were mistakes, and maybe they were mistakes. And yet, when we look back on our life, then we say, we pray, Lord, Father, thy will be done. Let me embrace and accept and submit to all these things that have happened to me, all these things that I have done, all these things that have happened around me, all these painful things, all these disappointing things. Help me to accept that and submit to that as thy good will for my life. But it also has to do with future things. Because as we sit here right now in the present, sometimes we think about tomorrow, we think about the new year, we think about the coming years, we think about the rest of our lives. And sometimes we wrongly become anxious 
and worried and fearful about tomorrow and about the future. We start to become troubled in our minds about hypothetical and potential tragedies, sicknesses, losses, failures, death, so that we have fears, fears of these things. Fears of the worst things, the bad things, the evil and painful things that could happen to us, that might happen to us, but we don't know. And the Lord says, pray, thy will be done. Pray that. Pray that. Because when you pray that, then what we're asking the Father is to give unto us the strength to be able to submit to God's will, whatever it might be, whenever it might be. We're praying for peace. We're praying for rest in our souls, for freedom from anxiety, freedom from fear, so that all these fears and worries and anxieties might be lifted from us, and we might be able to accept whatever the future holds. In this chapter that we read, the Apostle writes in verses 11 and 12 that we are to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Philippians 4, the Apostle calls us with all prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace that passes understanding will keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. That's praying for God's will to be done. Now, the question we might have is, how can I do that? How can I pray for that? How can I pray simply, purely, and simply that God's will will be done, whether it's good or bad, painful or pleasing to me? And the Apostle gives us the answer to that in the chapter we read when he says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. We can make this petition because of the mercies of God to us in Christ Jesus because we know the God whose will is being accomplished. We know that this God whom we are asking to accomplish his will in my life, is my God and my Father because of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, because of his mercies. He's a merciful God to me. He's gracious to me. He loves me. He is good to me. He sent his Son to pass through the deepest anguish and pains and agonies of hell on the cross to bear all of my sins away so that I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to worry about the future because I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, in my body and in my soul and my life and in my death. No matter what comes, no matter what happens, no matter what God wills for me, if I am to be single all my life or married, if I am to be married and to lose my spouse through death, if I am to have sickness, if I am to suffer tragedies and losses, I know that whatever God has planned for me, He knows best and it's for my good. 
I know that no matter what valley of tears I might pass through in the future, even if I don't understand, even if I can't grasp it, even if it doesn't make any sense to me, I know that He is painting a beautiful picture in my life. And in that picture, there are contrasts of bright colors and dark colors. And when he paints the dark colors into my life, I don't know, I don't understand why he's doing that. But he knows, because he is the potter and I am the clay. He's the painter and I'm the painting. And I know that he's working all things together for my good. I know that he's guiding me by his counsel. And afterward, he will receive me to glory. Lord's Day 1 of the Catechism teaches us that our only comfort in life and death is that we belong to our faithful Savior. And part of that comfort is this, that because of his precious blood, not a hair can fall from my head unless it is the will of my Heavenly Father. And he works all things to serve my salvation. Do you believe that? You believe the mercies of God to you in Jesus Christ are so sweet, so abundant, so sufficient that they will carry you through any trial, any affliction, any trouble that the future might hold. Then by faith you can make the petition, thy will be done. In the second place, The second aspect of the will of God is called sometimes the will of his command. The will of his counsel is what God wants to do. We can't, we have no say in that. We have nothing to do with that. God decided that before the foundation of the world and God accomplishes his will. And our prayer is that we will submit to it and accept it and embrace it. But the scriptures also speak of the will of God in this sense, what God wants us to do, what God wills that we do. That's his will, the will of his command, the will of his law, the will of his precepts. And the scriptures are full of the revelation of God's will. From beginning to end, God tells us what to do. He tells us how to live, how to behave. What is his will for our life? And that's really what the Catechism emphasizes, too. Grant that we and all men may renounce our own will and without murmuring, obey thy will. Obedience is something rendered to commandments. That so everyone may attend to and perform the duties of his station and calling. That's the language of God's commandments, his precepts, his statutes. In the scriptures, God reveals to us how he wants us to live. We could go through the whole scripture and find God's will, but we've chosen to use Romans 12. And in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul, having finished the doctrinal section of the epistle in which he emphasizes the great truths of justification by faith alone, of predestination and God's sovereignty and salvation, 
He says, now, I beseech you, brethren, by these mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's God's will through the apostle to us. And again, the apostle does not thunder from the pulpit down at us. You better do this or else. But he is speaking to the church. He's speaking to the brethren, to the beloved people of God. I beseech you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God. That's your reasonable service. That's the will of God for your life. The will of God for your life is be not conformed to this world. What does that mean? Children, young people, what does that mean? Be not conformed to this world. It means don't live your life just like the world. Don't live your life the way the world lives their life. If this was an old year's or a New Year's Day sermon, I would probably point out how the world behaves on New Year's Eve. What are the practices and behaviors common in the world on New Year's Eve? To drink, drink, drink until they get drunk. To dance the night away to the sounds of worldly music engage in sexual immorality until the dark wee hours of the night and then wake up with a hangover the next day. More or less. Be not conformed to this world. Don't behave like that. Don't live like the world lives. Be different from the world. That's the will of God. Be distinct. Be salt. Be a light. And then he goes on, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So as we look ahead into the new year, what are we going to do this year? What is the will of God for us this year, like last year? The will of God is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that transformation is not a quick change. That transformation is a lifelong process of soul-searching, lust-killing, and virtue-cultivating. And that's the will of God for us, a life of sanctification. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think about things. Don't think the way the world thinks, but think the way God thinks. Don't desire what the world desires. Desire what God desires. If you want to talk about New Year's Day commitments and so forth, then we ought to have the spiritual commitment every year, including this coming year, to be transformed. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter if we're children, young people, middle-aged or old age. The transforming process is something that God wills to continue until the day we go to heaven. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the will of God. The apostle teaches, beseeches us in verse 2, 
that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Because when we're transformed, when our mind is renewed, then we prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're looking into the scriptures, we're reading the scriptures, we're listening to the preaching, and we're discovering what God's will is. And we find when our minds are renewed, that's good. That's good. What I want is not good. What I crave, what I long for, what I lust after, that's not good. But what God desires for me, the way God wants me to live, what God says, that's good. That's acceptable and that's perfect. That's proving the will of God, testing it, finding it to be genuine and good. The rest of the chapter, essentially the apostle is laying down many, many, many precepts and commandments which express what God wills for us. Verse 3, God's will is that we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. That we don't boast. That we don't think that we are better than others. We don't think that we are always right. But that we think soberly about ourselves. We recognize our weaknesses, our failures. He goes on and talks about the grace given to each one of us. And that if we have gifts of prophesying, let us prophesy. Or ministry, let us minister. Or teach, let us teach. If we have gifts of exhorting, let us exhort. Gifts of giving and generosity and hospitality and rule and mercy. Let us cultivate those gifts. God has given all of us gifts in the body of Christ. So the will of God is, recognize your gifts. Use them. Cultivate them. For the service of others in the body of Christ. He says in verse 8, let love be without dissimulation. We know from the rest of Scripture that the greatest is love. The greatest of what God wills for our life is that we love God and that we love each other. And that love must be without dissimulation. It must be a true, genuine, heartfelt love. An unconditional, self-giving, self-sacrificing love. Just as God loves us and just as Jesus loved us. Not a love with dissimulation. Not a love that is trying to get something in return for what I do to you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you see that God's will for you to love him and to love your neighbor is good. And that means that you abhor what is evil, you cling to what is good, you are kindly affectioned to others with brotherly love. You prefer each other above yourself. You're not slothful and lazy in your business, but you're fervent in spirit. You serve the Lord. You rejoice in hope. You are patient in tribulation. You're constant in prayer. You're distributing to the necessity of the saints. You're given to hospitality. And the apostle, again, is not heaping these duties upon us as a great burden that we have to fulfill in order to please God and make him happy. No, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, God loves you. God is your Father who saved you. This is what God wills for your life. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Don't be envious of those who are successful. Rejoice with them. 
Weep with those who weep. Don't be indifferent toward them, but sympathize with them. Be of the same mind one toward another. Be one in the church. Be one in the body of Christ. Think the same things. Mind not high and lofty things of this earth, but condescend, humble yourself to men of low estate. Don't be too good for anybody. Don't be wise in your own conceits. Don't return evil for evil. If someone does evil to you, don't do evil back to him. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. That's the will of God. Live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, do not avenge yourselves in your marriage, in your business, in your community, in the church. Do not take revenge. But when wrath and anger start to bubble up inside of you, he says, give place to it. Set it aside. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. Our inclination naturally is, if my enemy is hungry, let him be hungry and let him die. But the will of God is, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not be overcome of evil. Do not allow evil, evil people, evil things and evil events to overwhelm you. But you overcome evil with good. That's a snapshot of the will of God for our lives. We are to pray, thy will be done. We are to pray that because we have within us an old self, an old law that is warring against the law of our mind, that's warring against our new man, and wants to pull our regenerated self back into captivity to the law of sin. So the apostle says, I beseech you, brothers and sisters. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Prove, approve, delight in the will of God and pray that it might be done, that you might do it. The Catechism teaches us that in this prayer, We are asking God to grant that we will renounce our own will in all of these respects. And without murmuring, obey God's will. We should pray often that we will do God's will without murmuring. How often do we murmur? Complaining about our lot in life. Complaining about our troubles and trials in life. Complaining about what God requires of us. I can't do that. I can't treat him that way. Just think of all the things he did to me. God says, don't murmur about it. Do it. Do what I tell you to do. Love your enemy without murmuring that so everyone may attend to and perform the duties of his station and calling. What are the duties of your station and calling? 
When you're a child, the duties of your station and calling are to honor your father and mother, to submit to them, honor them, respect them, love them, be faithful to them, unless they call you to sin, and then you obey God's will. When you become young people, you start to look ahead and wonder, what is going to be my calling and station in life? And you face this myriad of decisions. Which door should I open? Which path should I take? Which career? Which college? Which major? Who should I date? Who should I marry? What church should I be a member of? And so many questions. I was asked to give speeches on the will of God for our life long ago at a young adults retreat. Very fitting topic for young adults retreat because young adults are standing there at that pivotal moment of life where you look and you see the rest of your life stretching out ahead of you. And you wonder, what is God's will for my life? What is going to be my station in this life? What's my purpose in this world? What, what calling is he going to call me to? I encourage you, young people, to pray about that. The Lord will guide you. He will lead you and show you sometimes unexpected ways, sometimes painful ways. He will close certain doors, but he will open others. Submit to the will of, the, of God. He is good. He loves you. Submit to his guidance. And then pretty soon you burst forth from youth and you're married, and you have a career, and you have a family, and you're living your life. And now the question is, what are the duties of my station and calling? Well, let's see, I'm a husband or a wife. I'm a father or a mother, grandfather or grandmother. I'm an employer or an employee. I have my own business, or I work for someone. I'm a citizen of this country. Lots and lots of duties and stations. I'm a member of this church. I'm an elder or a deacon or a pastor. And so we have all these different hats that we wear. And those are our station and calling in life. And we are to pray in regard to all of those duties that we would have the strength to renounce our own will and do God's will. As a husband, as a wife, we have our own will, don't we? We want to do this or we want to do that. But we have to submit to God's will. And as husband, God's will for us is to love our wife, to cherish and nourish her, to care for her and protect her, provide for all of her needs to our own expense, renouncing our own desires, working together, raising children, cooperating. And as a wife... The duty is to submit to your husband, to help him, to assist him in all lawful things, to love him, to care for him. And even if that involves self-sacrifice. These are the duties of our station and calling. As employees, we're called to not be slothful and lazy at work. We're called to render service to our boss, even if he's not a likable person. We're supposed to work with our fellow co-workers, even if they're ungodly, miserable people. And if we're an employer, we're to treat our employees justly and fairly and honestly, 
just as we would want them to treat us, even if our employees are miserable creatures. As office bearers, we are to feed the flock of Christ, not lording over them, but as examples to God's heritage, preaching the gospel, teaching, counseling, disciplining, caring, ministering the mercies of Christ faithfully, day in and day out, night in and night out. But we can't do any of those things. And what would motivate us to pray for the grace to do those things? It goes back to verse 1. I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. He has showered his mercies upon you through Jesus Christ, who loved you and gave himself for you on the cross. And he demands nothing of you as the condition of your salvation. He provides everything to you for your salvation. And he calls you to live a life of gratitude. That's the motivation. Doesn't that motivate us? Doesn't gratitude motivate us? It does motivate us when by faith we look up at the cross of him who loved us and died for us and realize how much he sacrificed for me to wash away my miserable sins. Then it does motivate us. It's our reasonable service. Reasonable. Not unreasonable. Not too heavy of a burden to carry. No. Jesus says, come unto me, I will give you rest. My burden is light. My yoke is easy. Because you don't have to do these things to work your way into heaven. I've done all of that. And so we're motivated. We want to, as a Christian, we want to do the will of God. We want to do our duties and our station and our calling in life. And so we're taught to pray. Lord, grant me the grace to do it. Finally, the Catechism teaches us that we are praying to be able to do God's will as willingly and faithfully as the angels do in heaven. Where does the Catechism get that? Well, the Catechism gets that from the rest of the petition. And I've heard renowned theologians mess this up. The Lord's Prayer says, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Some people twist it that way, that we're actually praying for the kingdom to come on earth because they want an earthly kingdom. No, that's a distortion of the scriptures. Jesus teaches us to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the catechism teaches us what that means. We're praying that we will be able to do what God wills as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Think of all those angels up there in heaven. 
thousands upon thousands of them, flying around the throne of God, waiting upon the Lord, listening to all of his commands and all of his commissions that he gives to them. When he says to Gabriel, Go to Nazareth and tell Mary that she will be the mother of the Lord. Without murmuring, Gabriel immediately, willingly, cheerfully, flew down to the earth, to Nazareth, to make the announcement he was commanded to make. When God says to Michael, the archangel, go and fight the devil there. There's a battle down there. Fight with all of your mighty angels against those demons to help my people in their struggles. Then Michael, without any criticism, without any complaint, rushes down, enters into the battle with Satan, leading his armies into the warfare. Without murmuring, without complaining, they never question God's will. When God tells them what to do, they do it. That's an example to us. The Lord Jesus is teaching us, according to the Catechism, that we would pray that I would do that too. That I wouldn't be so stubborn and so obstinate like the horse that refuses to budge, but that I would soften my heart and be as willing and faithful and cheerful as the angels of heaven who cease not to sing day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Will you pray that? We know that there's no perfection this side of heaven. We know that. And yet, we are taught, exhorted, and beseeched as long as we live, not to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind, constantly progressing in the Christian life, aiming at, striving towards, such willing submission and obedience as that of the angels of heaven until the day that we join them. That means when I meet adversity in my life. That means... Also, when my life is routine and mundane, that means when my way is full of idleness and boredom and temptations, no matter what my way involves, good times, hard times, that I strive in all times to submit to and obey God's will. A good petition, I think, as we enter into a new year, a good petition to make fervently, faithfully, cheerfully, that in this coming year we would grow in doing and submitting to the will of God. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven in 2023. Amen. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads, thankful for the word, thankful for the instruction of the apostle.
and for the exhortation to a Christian life. We thank thee for the knowledge that thy will is good, even when it is painful for us. And may we find the grace to receive all things from thy hand and to strive to grow in the Christian life.